want you to open your Bibles tonight to Proverbs chapter 4, 23. We're going to conclude tonight our series on money and you. In Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, because this is a popular verse, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. That's your personal heart at your personal responsibility. To guard and keep your heart, for out of your heart are all the issues of life. That's where your faith is, that's where you win, that's where you lose, it's in your heart. Uh, If your heart's not right, your life will show it. And money fits into this same process, where your attitude in life is the way you think in your heart. That's your attitude. And if your attitude is not right about money and about the way it's supposed to fit in your life and what God requires of you with it, then it won't work out that well, and you won't like the way things turn out. In chapter 23, he says, don't labor to be rich. Don't labor to be rich. And like he said somewhere in chapter 4 there, he said, when you set your eyes upon wealth, it'll sprout wings and fly away. Money is not to control us. A heart that belongs to God is to control us. The kingdom of God is in our heart. That's to dominate us. Not money, not wealth, not all these so-called opportunities to excel. It's good to excel. It's good to have abundance. All of this is good. But the way you pursue it, the way you try to obtain the wealth of this world or the things of this world will largely determine how you fare in your walk with the Lord. Money is a sensitive subject. Everybody has an opinion on it. Everybody has an idea of what everybody else should do with their money. And people work hard to get it, and it's hard to let go of it. And by letting go of it, I mean the first thing we taught was is that as a Christian, you have to learn to give. One of the great deliverances you'll have in your life as a Christian is giving. And not grudgingly and not dreading to give and, well, I don't know, what are they going to do with my money? When you let go of it, it's not yours anymore. It belongs to somebody else. You don't even get to vote on what you're going to do with your money. You, you, you release it to God, and it's his. If you can't really give like that, you probably shouldn't, because it will do you no good. God loves a cheerful giver. And giving is just has to be something that is in response to God and what God shows you that he wants you to do. It's just the way it is, and that's the way God wants it to be. And another thing we said was that giving begins with usually the poor, of course the church, but those that are poor and those that have needs. A lot of times people that have needs aren't exactly poor. They just hit a rock and a hard place or some disaster, some problem came and they need some help. Well, the people that should help them is us. One of the reasons we need to enjoy the abundant life is so that we have more than we need so that we can help others that have a need or people in other places. If our Crews are going, our, we got missionary teams going here and going there to do this and to do that. It's nice to be able to send some extra so they can do a little more. Or if they're going to build a church to have enough from resources from amongst ourselves to send them down there so that we can get the job done. We have a reason to believe for prosperity. 
And by prosperity, I don't mean to be rich. The Bible says labor not to be rich in chapter 23. But it's nice to have money come to you because you're faithful. That God just causes you to be blessed. God causes you to prosper. That's the way it ought to be. Didn't he say in Deuteronomy 28 that if you would concentrate on his word of doing it, living it, and being what he wants you to be, that God would cause all these blessings to come up on you and overtake you? Of course you're content with what you have. I'm sure all of you would be. But because God has promised more, you avail yourself to more. If it pleases God to bless people, then why not bless us? And he said, you'll be blessed when you go out, blessed when you come in. Everything you put your hand to will prosper. Why? Just so you can have a lot? And so people can say, wow, you've got a lot? Or so we can be useful to the Lord in maybe helping other people. God can use us. Of course that would be a part of the, the reason that he would bless us. But we bless and we give to the poor. There's a lot of verses about giving to the poor. Psalm 41, Psalms 19, 17. You give to the poor, you lend to the Lord, and the Lord will repay you. And so all of that's in there for us to read also. Second thing we said was giving to the ministry. Because ministers, as far as I know, do not donate their time and resources to doing this. They usually do it, like he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, a plowman plows in hope. As he plows his field, he is expecting a return. Or the oxen that's treading out the grain gets to eat all the oxen needs to eat to get a job done. And Paul likened all of that back to the minister who is preaching the gospel. He said, God says that those who preach the gospel should live of it. And Galatians 6, 6 says, let those that are taught in the word communicate or share with, the Bible said, those that teach. And that's just a responsibility that needs to be taught to people. It's not easy for me to teach that because, again, I'm on the other side of that. And this wasn't a choice I made to live like this in my life. I never chose to do what I'm doing. I was called to do this. I'm not going to give my testimony, but God caused things to happen in my life where this is what I came to, and I really couldn't do anything else. There was no other job that I could do. And when I started doing this, I was so busy, I couldn't have done anything if you had have offered me a better job. But the times I wanted out, I couldn't find another job if I had looked for one. So I stayed in, and, and it's worked out, and after all these years, this is the way it is. But I chose, as I said years ago, not to sell myself. I'm not for sale. I'm not for hire. I don't want to be a hireling. I don't want to do this for a fee. Like you said, let those that are taught in the Word communicate with those that teach. I would rather those who come, those who listen, you give. And that's what I'll live on. That's the way I'll make my living in, in life. And if God blesses me and a lot of people want to hear it, that's just a blessing that God gave me. And if, like so many that I have known, it didn't work for them, and apparently they weren't called. But giving is not necessarily a tithe. I think tithing is good if you want to do that. But in the New Testament, it says you give as you purpose in your heart. And he says, because the way you measure it out is the way it will be measured back. That would have probably been a good place in the New Testament to say that we're still under a tithing method or a tithing law, but it doesn't say that. The tithe had its purpose, and the whole purpose of the tithe was to support the ministry. 
And in the New Testament, we, though we don't have a priesthood, we have fivefold office gifts and pastors, teachers, and so forth. But giving to the ministry today is probably what God has ordained for us to do. There's other needs in the church, and you can give to that. There are other situations in which God would have you to help that, and that's, you do that too. But everybody has to learn how to give. Giving is just a thing that we Christians do. Now, last week we asked a couple questions about money management. Some of it revolved around debt and borrowing and interest, living off interest. The American way of life is, is debt-driven. Our tax code honors those that are in debt more than those that are out of debt. The whole American dream to achieve it requires you to, to borrow in order to buy it. And when you go to borrowing, you go into a debt, and it so accumulates before you realize it, you're over your head. And multitudes of families have realized that they can't pay for it. Did you know that the consumer debt in America is over $3 trillion? That's just how much Americans owe. The money that they did not have that somebody lent to them so they could have whatever they have to pay back is over $3 trillion. And if you have to pay it back, then what you bought really isn't yours. It belongs to whoever you borrowed from. Now, I know the Bible says that we will lend and not borrow. Therefore, I'm not going to label borrowing as a sin, except in those cases where you're convicted about it. You know, when the Bible says the borrower is servant to the lender, or we should owe no man anything in Romans 13. And those kind of verses to me, they may not be that way to multitudes of others, but for me individually, it sort of is a restriction for me. I'm not to be in debt. If I'm going to teach that to you, it's obviously necessary for me to live beyond that because I think that's part of the ministry. I think if you're going to teach it, you live it. But I've seen so much trouble come from debt. And debt is usually fostered by greed. You know, you watch the tube, you look in the paper, no money down, no payments till, and low interest rates. And after all, you need to borrow early and establish a credit line. I mean, isn't that what people say? You know, you need to develop good credit. That's the way most people think. You can't have anything unless you borrow. I've had people say that to me years ago when I would not borrow. I just said, God will supply this need or supply that need or the car, the house. And, and until he does, I'm not going to go to any other source. And I've had people say, well, you'll never have anything because that's their mindset. Those people are hard to teach because they're captured by that idea that if you're going to have anything in this life, you're going to have to have a system of credit whereby you can get it. And especially while you're young, don't wait till you're old and lean it on a cane to try to buy something because they probably wouldn't loan it to you anyway. But you think of this, in the 1930s, that's how many hundred years ago? That's another century. You couldn't even borrow money. They wouldn't hardly lend money for anything. When I got out of college and tried to buy the first house I tried to buy, they wouldn't loan me the money. You know, a three-bedroom brick Full basement, attached garage, $13,700. That was what it cost, the house. 
And the banker said, I don't know about that. You know, I, you, you got to learn to crawl. I remember him saying this. You got to learn to crawl before you walk. Of course, in my smart aleck attitude in those days, I thought, well, you know about anything. But I didn't say that because I wanted to get along. My dad was going to co-sign for me, and I had it. I'm sure it would work, and it didn't. It later on worked, but so much of America is driven by debt. How many people have a credit card invitation? I about wore my shredder out in my office just running credit card invitations into it. How many credit cards do people have? I wrote down a few facts here for us tonight. I can't quote them all, but I thought I'd pick out some of them. School loans. I think the average college student with a school loan like has seven credit cards. And his average debt is $7,000 plus a school loan. Because, the, the, you know, the mindset is, how will you ever get an education if you don't borrow to get it? And I have heard that tuition today is in the bigger schools is outstanding. A lot of money goes into getting an education. I'd hate to think I was going to spend twenty to $25,000 a year on a kid that made D's and C's in, on their report card. If you're not going to try any harder than that, I would say to my own, if that's the best you can do, I'm not paying for any more of your education. That's it. I'm not paying for you to go to school so you can get out of the house and have fun and play and all that. That's not the purpose of hard-earned money. It's, it's to help you get through school with an education so you can have a head start in life and, and not have to stand in the back of the line all of your life or whatever you're supposed to say about that. The typical U.S. student has seven credit cards. I think the average is around seven grand per student. You think, what are they doing with those cards? But I guess they say, well, they have to eat. Yes, they do. They surely, surely do. The average credit card debt today carries $4,878 balance. And the average household, they say, husband and wife, has 12 credit cards. Now, the reason you have credit cards is so you can get something because you don't have any money, you don't have any cash, you don't even have that much money in your checking account, but it doesn't matter. You can give them a card, you can do the cha-ching and get what you want instant now. Get it right now. You don't have to wait. And you're being trained to be irritable if you have to wait. Just let the light linger. Let the person in front of you kill the car when they try to start and you have to wait. Because we want everything now. Fast food restaurants are called fast food for some reason. So you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait on the Lord. You don't have to live uh, the gospel and prove yourself faithful and then receive from the Lord the way he gives things to have things. Oh, no, that's good for you. If you want to do that, that's, that's fine. But, but I, I believe the Lord will bless me with a low interest rate. I had a preacher tell me that once. Boy, we got a loan. You can't believe how good an interest rate we got. Of course, I didn't say anything because I was a guest, but I was thinking. I mean, I'm not impressed. That doesn't impress me at all. You know, you're going to have all this big glorified, over-exaggerated building for what? To show off, to brag about, to boast of? It's not even yours. It belongs to the biggest building in town, the bank. But it doesn't matter. People don't think that way. Just 
narrow people like myself. Did you know that there are 1.6 million households in America that filed bankruptcy? 1.6 million households filed bankruptcy. You know why they filed bankruptcy? Because they had more debt than they had money. How did they get more debt than they had money? Because people have made it possible. You can go to the bank and you can get about as much as you want. Because after all, you should enjoy life. You should have it and have it now. They that wait upon the Lord, you don't have to wait. Churches don't either. Churches that are building and buying and borrowing, they can't preach you should not be in debt or you should be out of debt or you should at least consider it because they are themselves. Back in 2004, shows you how old some of my records are. Back in 2004, the credit card industry took in $43 billion. That's a B. $43 billion in late payments over limit and balance transfer fees. Now that, on my trusty calculator, it will only go so far, so many zeros, but it counted out to be 117 million $802,219 a day. That's how much income comes in for those things I, I mentioned. And in 2005, late fee penalties. Have you ever had to have a late fee? Those of you that have ever got behind, you ever paid a late fee? It's more than a couple bucks. And a late fee, sometimes you pay a late fee because you mailed it a bill late or you've misplaced the bill, those things can happen. But in 2005, late fee penalties totaled $11 billion in America, in the United States, $11 billion, just late fees. That wasn't a part of when they gave you the card, you're going to have to pay this every month. It only says, now, if you pay off whatever we let you spend, we'll pay your bills for you. The credit card said, you go ahead and use that card, buy what you want up to a limit, We'll pay for it. Our company, we'll pay for it. Enjoy yourself. We'll even send you a bunch of checks once a year to buy more. But now, if you don't pay back each month what we let you spend or you're late paying, we're going to charge you a penalty. Because, I mean, we, we can't let you just buy and get by and not feel like you have to pay it back. So we want to encourage you to pay that back. But if you don't, you're going to pay a late fee. $11 billion. Let me tell you how much that is a day. Per day, that computes to $30,136,986 a day. $30 million each day for late fee credit card payments. I think that is obscene. Nobody will ever know how many of these people who allow this to happen in their life, who are not very responsible with money at all, how they let themselves get this far behind. You get yourself in a hole. I think it's terrible. A 2004 study said the number one cause of divorce in America was financial stress. Number one, financial stress arguing over how much you spent, how much we can't afford that. Well, we got to have what we can't afford it. Well, I don't know if you'd made more, you wouldn't spend more. You know what? None of that should be. 
There should not be a problem in this room with marital discord over money because of the foolishness in having it and spending it. It shouldn't be. The title of this little message is Money and You, and it's a big deal. Like right now, what we're talking about, a lot of people do get stressed. All those things you got with that credit card you had to have, and boy, you're enjoying the big tube and the... And this or that and the clothes and the shoes. And, and then one day when the credit card company says, would you please pay us back? And you get your bill and the minimum payment on some of them is way too much. If my bill is over $300, I'm going to sit down and cry. But I pay it off every month. If I owe three, I give them five. That gives me two ahead coming in the next month. If I can stay ahead of them, I'm always ahead. That's just the way I was raised. That's the way I see things. I really don't want to owe anybody anything. Anybody that uses a credit card usually does. I mean, I've done it myself, but I didn't go ask them to loan me a bunch of money while I did use their money. But if I pay it off every month, I try to stay ahead. That's true. You know, we owe the electric company every month. There's a lot of ways you can technically say we owe people. But that's the way they operate. They won't let you pay it ahead because they don't know how much you're going to use anyway. But God has a better way for us to do things. I just think that if you cannot handle your money and you feel like that everything, that credit card is going to bail you out, you need to consider maybe getting rid of it. See, I believe personally at the expense of being arrogant, I believe I can get anybody out of debt. They won't ever let me do it because you, you wouldn't like it. But I believe I could get any of you out of debt, even the worst debt. I believe I could get you out. But can you imagine every nickel you get, you have to bring it to me? I get your check at the end of the week if you get a check. Any extra money you get, I get it. You bring it to me, I'll set you up an account. I'll give you so much for your weekly expenses, just barely enough. I mean, you can't put cheese on this hamburger. No, sir, you get it plain. No pickles. You got yourself in. We're going to get you out. We're going to lean you out a little bit, too. And you're only going to get a little money to live on, and that's all you're going to get. And if you come up short at the end of the week, and you'll have to see how many friends you got. I believe I could get you out of debt. I do. Like I say, you wouldn't like it. You'd last about two weeks. And you couldn't go do what you usually do that gets you behind and... You wouldn't put much restraint on yourself, so you'd be in trouble. Then I mentioned last week, because I'm coming to the end now, about living off of interest. There's nothing wrong if you got money in a savings account that you're not for the interest sake, because you don't get much today. I mean, interest today on CDs, I understand, on certain kinds of interest-bearing accounts, money markets is different, but like CDs and things, you don't get as much today as they used to get. The interest rates are a little bit tighter, I guess. But when I put money in a savings account, uh, I didn't put it in there to try to make money off of it. The bank chose, not by my consent, but they chose to give me my 30 cents a month interest on my savings account or a dollar thirty a month for whatever it is. I didn't ask for it. It's just the policy of the bank. I put it in there because right now I don't know what to do with it. 
I'm not sure what the use of it's going to be for yet, but it's there for whatever the need is, you know, whatever I've got. Uh, you know, two or three million maybe. I'm glad I don't have that much. My kids would love it, but I, I, don't, I don't need all that. I've had people, friends of mine, when we're talking about money, like something will come up on the news, you're listening to the radio driving down the road, and they start talking about money and interest. I hear conversations about I got money here and I got money there in, in silver stocks or gold certificates and that's just the thing that a lot of people do. That's just something that they feel is maybe what a good steward of the Lord's money would do is make as much as you can. I've never really leaned that way, so it doesn't make me better than them or I'm right and they're wrong. Again, I have a conviction about God gives us richly all things to enjoy. It's not something that we try to hoard up and see how much that we can get. Even Jesus warned us about that. He said that uh, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth. Remember that where moth and thieves break in and steal. And money is referred to as being uncertain and deceitful because of what it does and what it makes you think it does. And it doesn't always do that. Look at Psalms 15 and verse 5. There's only five verses in this psalm, but this is a verse that I use for myself as a personal conviction I've heard people, brothers, talk about how much money they made last year. They made three, $400 on interest last year or did this and making money. If I use this credit card, they will give me a percentage. You ever how that works? You know what I'm talking about? Use our credit card and you get a certain percentage added to it, Capital One, you know, every single time, every year, all over the world, boom, you make money with that card. That appeals to a lot of people. Again, to me, it's only a... The credit card encouraging you to use it to buy stuff you don't need. Making you think you're living the dream, but you're not. In Psalms 15 and verse 5, it begins by saying in the first verse, The man that fears the Lord will be greatly blessed. Now, I like that part. And then he mentions several things about the man that greatly fears the Lord or what's going to happen to him and, and how God will particularly and specifically bless him. And one of the things about the man in verse 5 is that he putteth not out his money to interest. In other words, he doesn't put his money out to make money off of those who borrow from him or borrow from his money. And I guarantee you, when you put money in a money market, somebody takes your money, loans it to somebody else, collects a hefty interest rate of which they'll pay you a lesser interest rate for the use of your money. Now, that may not be the right way this is defined in chapter 15, but that's kind of the way I see it. I don't want to put my money out there for the world to use it like I've got so much of it. There are people who don't see it that way. I know that. I'd like to say that you have a chance and a choice here to make your own decision. You read it for yourself. I did. I didn't base what I believe on what somebody else taught me while somebody else alerted me at early in my life, about things the Bible says about money and being out of debt, knowing no man anything. I never really heard that before, but when I heard it, it triggered thinking, and I began to think, and I began to find out for myself. And what about interest, and what about this, and what about that? 
And I came to the conclusion that if that's what some people want to do, that's between them and God. But for me, I don't want to do that. I don't want to put it out for usury or to loan it to anybody else. Well, what are you going to do with it? Well, I don't have so much, it's a problem. But the little bit I have saved for vacation, I might put it in a jar or in a book or in Bonnie's pillow or somewhere. And I always know where it is. I don't have to go anywhere to get it. I don't have to walk in and ask for my money. I can just go out there and get it where it is. But if you want to put your money out for interest, that's between you and your conscience and your convictions. Your convictions should be based on the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit should bring that to your attention and show you how to do all of that. And you can live with it. You do it. Another thing I want to mention this week we didn't mention last week concerning debts and borrowing and the attitude and the conversations that people have about those subjects is land contracts. A land contract. A ministerial brother one time, we almost got into it, and I was kind of hoping we would because he was, how would I say this, in honor of the brother. He's no longer here, but he was kind of a, a determined man when it comes to what he believes, and we all should be, but he was pretty strong, and I thought, well, this would be a good time for us to get into it in a loving way. But something came up, somehow asked questions, and we never did go into it. But he was saying, you know, land contracts is no different than going to bank and borrowing money. And I said, that's not even close. Not even close. A land contract is an agreement between a landowner and a buyer, a he or a she, who wants to buy your land, doesn't have the money to pay you for it, but is willing to give you on whatever terms you come together with, give you so much money either each month or once a year until it is paid for. And at such time, the deed that the owner has goes to the one who, over the course of time, fulfilled his obligation, paid for the land, as he said he would, and then he gets the deed. You see, every contract is different. A lot of people have opinions and ideas about land contracts that have never been in one, don't know that much about them. The one I was in, I've only been in one, was me and a neighbor sat down and negotiated the price of Buzzard Roost Road. And you folks in other countries, Buzzard Roost is a real deal. But anyway... We negotiated the price of the land. He gave a number, and I came back with something else. And then he said, in the course of that, he said, uh, well, how much interest am I going to get out of this? And I said to him, these words, I said, am I dealing with a bank or am I dealing with a neighbor? I said, you just tell me how much money you have to have once a year for that piece of land, and I will tell you if I can afford to do that or I'm willing to do that or not. There's no money being exchanged here. It's just, I like to have your land. I just don't have enough money to buy it. But if we can make a deal and I'll give you so much every year and, and I'll get it, we can do that, I think. So we reached a deal. We reached a number, and I was pay him $14,000 every January the 1st, the first week of January. I had this written down. I have seven days and so forth. And the deal was that if I could not meet my end of the obligation, 
whether the first year or the ninth year. That'd be tough the ninth year. But if I could not pay him what we agreed to, then I forfeit not only what all I've paid him, but any right to get that deed because I couldn't make a payment anymore. That worked out for me fine, and, and I got the house and so forth, and you all built it, and, or a crowd that used to be here did, and made a home out of it. And I am so grateful for all of this. I did thousands of dollars worth of work, and they gave it to me in restoring that house. But the deal on it was, I'm going to pay you $14,000 once a year if I can't. And I have a grace period, I think, of 30 or 45 days, a grace period to try to get things together. This is called the kindness of the owner. I'll give you 45 days. And at the end of that 45 days, if you can't get it together, say you move away or the rapture came, then... The land goes back to you, no more contract, I'm out of the picture, you keep the money. That was my part of the deal. And I said, I will not only do that, but I'll pay the taxes on the property, whatever that is every year, all 500 and some dollars of it every year. And I said, if I can't pay it, it goes back to you. He said, all right, I'll do that. See, for when you're older, like he was, he wasn't old, but when he was older, and you have some land you don't really need anymore, that's a good way to sell it. If you got a good buyer, because that way you don't have to get a great big check and have that kind of money to pay taxes on, you can get a little bit of it every year and pay less every year. So he was happy with that. I thought I was happy. It seemed pretty good. I'd never been in a situation before. But the deal is, I borrowed no money. There was no cash involved. I owed the man nothing. I only obligated myself to a certain figure once a year that if I could not come up with that money, it's back to you and I'm out. Well, he was fine with that because he couldn't lose. When all the church people here came over and started building that house back and they were mowing grass and painting and, and putting electricity and plumbing and refinishing and floors and, and wallpaper and dry. He came over one day and had the new cabinets in the kitchen and the new floor in the kitchen. Everything was new. And he came over because all there was, you know, 50 people running around there like little flies all over, you know, everybody doing something. And he came over and he looked at the house and he said, you're not going anywhere. See, what I did as a Christian, I first of all made sure that I am not going to cause you to be misled. I'm not going to cause you to be harmed by this. I'm going to make it better for you if I'm out of the picture. In other words, as a Christian, if I come up short, you get it back and you get it back new. It'll be a new home. Now you're in good shape. And if I want to keep it, all I have to do is come up $14,000 every January the 1st. And it just so happened that a house I had lived in in Versailles, Indiana, that was mine, I had to leave and gave it to the church, just walked away because of what was brewing. And it came back here. They got a new pastor. He called me up and said, this is not right. You get your house back. We're going to give you a deed to the property. I went back and sold it, paid for the farm. I sold it on a contract. I got $10,000 a year from, a, from my Versailles house. I spent $14,000 a year. It only cost me $4,000 a year to come up with that kind of money to get the house. But it worked out good for me, and I, I thank God for that. I do. I, I guess I had favor. I don't know. 
my brother who wanted to argue with me back, he was saying that you owe that money, you're in, you're in debt. And the truth of it is, on a land contract, I'm not in debt. I obligate myself to pay back a figure if I can. And that was in the write-up. If for any reason I cannot pay this back or don't want to anymore. Let's say Bonnie and I just had the house. I mean, she said, get out of the house. I said, I ain't getting out of nothing. And so we kind of had a big blow-up, see? Well, I ain't going to live. And I could have walked off. It wouldn't have cost me a, a dime as far as paying back. You can't do that with the bank. What you go to the bank and say, hey, I can't pay back that loan. Sorry about that. The bank said, we gave you money. That was our money we gave you to do what you said you wanted us to help you do. We want our money back like this. But see, when you're, on, when you're buying something on the land contract, if you can find somebody to work with you, you're not doing that. You're simply saying, your property, I like to buy it like this. A lot of people will, because it is a good way to, to have 10, 15 years of income. And, uh, but you've got to be careful how it's worded and how it's written up. If my house had burnt to the ground the second year that I had paid on it, and the insurance company is going to rebuild it, whose money does it belong to? I paid on it twice. He still got eight to go. He, doesn't he have eight-tenths of it himself? He sure would. I didn't move into something that was mine, and I'm entitled to whatever I can get from the insurance company because that's still his house until I pay for it. But if I pay for it, it's mine. Every contract is worded differently. Everybody has an opinion and a view of it. And I've had people write me telling me that, well, you, you know, your land contract you had is no different than going to a bank and borrowing. I don't even know how that's similar. If you want to believe that, fine. But I don't think that's even close. But if you want to believe that, fine. Because in essence, I don't owe anybody anything that I have borrowed the only debt that I have that I owe is what I said I would pay back. And the condition was, if I can. Now, if I can't, I'm out. I'm walking away from the house. I lose everything I put in it, but I owe nobody anything. Now, I like that because that's the only way I could do it. And uh, it worked out for me, and I praise God for that and so forth. Now, in conclusion to this thing, what about budgets? People have asked about budgets. I said a while ago, I could get any of you out of debt. If you came in, we'd sit down. You wouldn't like me at all. I'd sit down and just show you how bad it is and, and how dumb. The mis <laughs> and then we'd sit down and get to business. But a budget's not a bad thing. One time I did decide when things were tightening up about, oh, 25 years ago. Yeah, things are starting to tighten up maybe 20 years ago. How much money do I figure I'm going to come? Okay, this much money's coming in. Well, what are my bills? And I start adding everything up, and, well, I should give this much to the Lord and all this. And I thought, I can't even afford to live. I can't even afford to be on the earth. I don't even know how I breathe air. So I tore the budget thing up and said, no, I'm going to go back to just by faith. And it, it's worked out for me. But a budget is probably a good thing for a lot of people because a budget... It's an itemized plan on how you're going to spend money or allocate the money you have. It's simple to me. A budget is as simple as this. If you're a person who is compulsive in your spending, if you realize you bought things you don't need, like you have a yard sale every month, 
and and you've got all these kind of things that are just really totally un, unnecessary. And you're the kind of person like me that goes to a grocery store to get a list of three things that Bonnie wants. I get three sacks and come home with everything from baby food to who knows what. But uh, some people are like that. Now, if I was on a budget, I, you can laugh at that if you want to, but if I was on a budget, when things are tight, I know better than that. And I just walk on by, like the song said, when all them little jars of juice start singing to you. You walk down the aisle and all the potato chips going, hey, brother. You just, you just keep on going. You just walk on by. Because you've got to learn a part of your Christian character is the ability to control your spirit. The Bible says a city with its walls broken down is like a man in whom the, the spirit has, has fallen apart. He has no ability to control himself or his spending. Some people can't control their temper. If you can't control your temper, chances are you don't control your spending. And you do things foolishly. And the side effects of that is complaining and griping and criticism. And it's all because of money. Money affects us in so many different ways. But a budget, I would start with this, because a budget does restrict. If you stick to it, it does restrict unnecessary spending, and it does eliminate and begin to eliminate debt in your life. But it requires commitment from both parties if you're married. I mean, a man has got to be committed to the fact that I will not buy, I will not assume anything that I'm committed not to do. In other words, if I'm going to limit myself to $30 a week for non-essentials, for food, whatever little thing pops up along the way, I will not spend beyond that. I don't care what comes up. If I spend it too early, I'll do without. You've got to have a constitution like that. You've got to make yourself in control. And if you can't, or if your wife, if you're married, and you have to sit down and talk, said, you will not spend anything without talking to me first. I will not spend anything without talking to you first. We will be accountable to each other. You promise me you won't hide anything. I promise you I won't hide anything. If the greatest sale comes up that's ever come up in the world, <gasps> and everything is 98% off. What a sale. That's a slobber sale. You, you tell yourself, I will not spend any money I do not have. Now, how do I do it? Well, I take my check. I don't know how much you make. You know. You know how much money comes in or averages comes in. And you average, if you get a check every week, it's easier. If you have a certain specified amount of income, it's easier. And the first thing you do when you take your income there, number one on your priority list is God. He alone can make it work. Nobody else can. You can't put him at the end, and if you have any left over, we'll give something to God. You put God first. How much? That's up to you. I don't know if that's your business. It's, it's like you said, you measure it out, and you show God how to measure back. God knows what you don't have and what you do have. He knows what kind of strain you're in, and he just knows. So you, in light of all of that, 
See, I'm going to give God, as I purpose in my heart each week, I'm going to lay that much aside and give it to the Lord. And I like to lay a little bit extra, another $20, well, $10 a week if I'm really tight. I'm going to take another $10 and put it somewhere it cannot be touched, not with dynamite, not with tin candle, nothing. And that $10 is for offerings. You know, the Bible said you rob God with tithes and offerings. Some of it is God's right away, and some of it is the extra that you give. I'm going to make sure I've got a little extra. All right, that's the first thing you do. Second thing you do is how much money do I spend on the essentials at home? Groceries. Now, I think groceries are pretty high, aren't they? Aren't groceries higher than they used to be? Ooh, yeah. Okay. Then you know how much they are. You go shopping, and you begin to say, okay, we will cut out of our grocery shopping things we don't need. We'll cut out all cookies, all pies, all fries, anything that's not essential for the well-being For the nutrition of my family, I will not buy it. No extras, no frills, no fancy, because I'm in a bind. I want to get myself free so I can be a contributor instead of a needy person all the time. So you begin to figure out how much you can spend on groceries. Out of the amount of money you have, you cut off this much out of that, you've got this much left. You give the Lord his, you've got this much left. All right, my groceries are going to cost me so much a week. Okay, you cut that out. Write that down. That's, that goes out. Then you got, if you go to work every day, you got to drive to work. How much gasoline do you use in a week? How much extra driving do you do? Well, every week I know, okay, we're going to cut that out too then. That's only going to amount to 3 or $4 and get. We're trying to get you out of debt, aren't we? Okay, no more extra driving. I'm going to record your mileage when you go every week, and you're going to bring your car by here every afternoon so I can record your mileage again and see how many miles you drove today. I don't think I like you, Brother Hamilton. I told you you wouldn't, but I'm just telling you, if you want to get out of debt, there's a way to do it. And then you look at anything else that you need at home. How about your electric bill, your utilities? You've got to add all that in. Believe it or not, you may want to put a, what your, your good down coat on and cut the furnace down a little bit at night so it doesn't run as much. Of course, if it's zero out, you, you know, you do what you got to do, stay alive and stay warm. Maybe things you can cook without using the electricity you'd normally use or turn the hot water heater temperature down. See, we're not used to that. None of us are. Oh, no, man, it's America. I'm just telling you, folks, there's a point in your life, if you really want to get to a place where God moves you into his abundance so he can now bless you because you show by a pattern of your life and decisions you're making, the restraint you're putting on yourself because you're ashamed and embarrassed of being so far in debt, you don't have any left over. You do that. And then how about your credit cards? If you have credit cards, most people have at least one. I have two. I use them as little as possible. But if you do use them, how much are you paying every month? You say, well, I've got one brother I've seen. <laughs> That's his business. I mean, I'm not anybody's conscience. But I've seen brothers open up wallets, and I've seen like four or five Visa cards. I think, why do you need four or five? What's wrong with one? Well, this one over here, every time I spend it, I get this much interest added to it. And by the end of the year, I can, I can get $100 free worthy free stuff. Oh, okay. 
That's, that's, that's important to have a $100 freebies at the end of the year. That's, that's, you know, that's a necessity. But anyway, whatever your payments are, you want to get out of debt. I've got three credit cards. I owe $7,000. I am determined as much as I can to pay more than the minimum every month on each one of them, if there's enough left over. And hopefully there is still enough left over for that. I'm going to pay something, and from this point on, no more credit cards in my wallet at home. If they're in my house, I'm going to put them in a little bag, give them to Brother Hamilton, and he won't let me have them anymore. How's that? Ain't no telling what somebody accused me of if they hear this message. <laughs> but anyway, you, you come to a place where I'm, I'm not going to buy it. If, if I can't pay for it, if I don't have enough money to pay for it outright, I'm not going to buy it. I'd like to. Oh, sure, I wish I had it. I see what that's done to me all my life. I see what it's done to m many people. I escaped all of that growing up because my parents were just the opposite of that. That's probably what's in, influenced me. They got out of debt. They built a new home when I was in high school and paid it off, I think, in five or six years. Because all the money that they came in, any extra money went to the, went on that house. And they got it paid off because that was just their mindset. They didn't owe any money. They owed nobody anything. And drilled that into me. Get out of debt. Stay out of debt. And I tried debt for a while, and I saw what it does, and then I got out. And I haven't gone back. But there's just something about getting out of debt, paying your bills, especially when you can budget your life out and say, I have enough money every month to meet minimum obligations on everything. I'm cutting everything as tight as I can, and I have got to somehow in my budget, I've got to have some money each month. I am determined, absolutely determined, that every month I'm going to save something. Whether it's $5 or $100, I'm going to save money every month. I'm not going to let any month go by without, if it's a quarter, I'm going to save something. And every year we want to go to vacation in Timbuktu. And we can't afford to go, but we go anyway. And bingo, you know, here we are looking, January comes around and, oh, what are we going to do now? What are we going to do now? Well, we already did what we're going to do now. We went to Florida. Now we're going to pay the consequences. But if you save money every month, and you, wouldn't it be nice to come in at the end of the year and you had $2,000 that was yours, that nobody had a claim to? You didn't owe it to anybody. It was yours because you saved it. God probably blessed you that way. In fact, probably the more he sees you're trying hard to do things the way you should as a Christian, the more he's going to bless the money that comes into your family and comes into your life. I don't know that he will. I don't know that he won't. I know that he's able to. He's able to do exceeding abundantly. He's able to cause all these blessings to come upon you and what? Overtake you. Is he able? Well, all the time I'm trying to get my house in order and trying to get everything where I'm not obligated to this world anymore to give them back all the stuff that they gave me, but I'm free from them now. When you get free from them, you want to go back anymore and you want to say, God, it's all, I'm going to do it your way from now on. I'm going to trust you. When I've got it, I can pay for it, I'll buy it. If I can't pay for it, I'm not going to buy it.
As far as a credit card, there may be a lot of time it's necessary to have, I don't know what, maybe identification. I know some people, you know, require a credit card to, to get a plane ticket or something. I don't know how you get around that. I'm sure you can. Maybe it's a debit card. I think in a debit card, just cash out of your checking account. Well, see, that's something new. I don't have one of them either. I had one once, and I don't know whatever happened to it because I didn't remember the number, the uh, VIN number, because I didn't want to remember it. And as stubborn as I am, if I don't remember, I ain't going to remember it. And whatever happened to the card, I don't know, and I don't care. Nobody else could use it either. But it seems to be a, a way to do it. I know a credit card can be useful if you have a business. And you're buying things that you can deduct from your taxes, and it's a better way to keep track of it. That's probably all right. We get these credit card applications for Shelbyville Christian Assembly with all the list of things you can do. You can do this, and you can do this, and you can go. And then, yeah, then you go to Walmart, and you go to Lowe's, you start buying stuff. That's not good either because that's training me to depend on somebody else for what I don't have. And I don't want any part of it. Me personally, and on, the, and on the behalf of all of us, I don't want any part of that. But if I was a businessman and, and I was paying my bill every month and my credit card never had a balance, nothing was ever due, and I used that for my business, I probably wouldn't have any problem with that. Because like I say, we may get in a catalog sale and order a new, a new shirt or a sweater, another one, it's just a convenient way to buy it. But again, it's my conviction, if I do that, to never let that debt go fully, that whole balance paid off, and a little extra if you can. Because that's just a safe way for me to function and operate. I know that I'm not trusting the world for my needs. I'm trusting God. But everybody has to deal with this yourself. How you handle your affairs is your business. How you handle your money is your business. What you do with it, how you spend it, is your business. But if you're in debt and you're in need all the time, you need to get some help. God wants us to be able to help others. Didn't he say you shall lend and not borrow? That should be our standard. This should be our personal goal. I don't want to borrow. I want to be able to lend. And yet, if I lend money to somebody, somebody says, well, I have a need. Can you help me out of my... I usually lend it with the idea that, look, yeah, I'll lend this to you. I'll let you have this money. If you can't pay it back, you owe me nothing because I give it to you. Because you're not going to stand on this earth in any way obligated to me. If you get behind, you can't pay for it, it's yours. Now, if you get that money from me and say, hey, I don't have to pay this back, you won't get any more. Because I don't think that's a Christian attitude either. But I, we are to help people, and we do. We, we try to help people. There are some times you don't. There's times that God will quicken you to leave that person alone. I've been there. A person who is just a spendthrift and not trying, and will you help me? Hard as it is to say, no, I don't think I can. And boy, you really look like a dog then, but I'm sorry. You got yourself in this hole. You dug it. I didn't dig it. I didn't inspire it. You did it. And so if I were you, I would get myself out of debt. And if it's you and your wife or you and your husband, I would say you all need to sit down, have a serious talk, add it up, tally it up, section it out as who gets what, and restrain yourself 
obligate yourself and commit yourself to doing this until you're out of debt completely. Then bring a testimony in here and we'll all whoop and holler. You know, we used to do that here. Some of you that have been here for quite a while, we used to do that. It seemed like every other month or something, somebody would say, praise God, I'm out of debt. Woo! And we'd just clap. And then 12 or 13 years later, when the kids were grown, start preaching on owing no man anything, and you get notes. You get these bad looks. Land contract. And I think, what happened? Because when that started, the praise died with it. What happened? When we had nothing and were believing God to get out of whatever debt we had, we whooped and hollered and the windows shook and the floor, I mean, it was just, woo! And the kids one day got grown up in high school. We, we quit rejoicing. Is it because of money? Do you suppose money had anything to do with that? Do you suppose that irritation with somebody teaching on your mistakes has anything to do with you being quiet and ticked off sometimes? Maybe so. But if you are, that's a serious problem. Now in closing, one more thing that has to do with money, that's pledges. I pledge allegiance. The Americas, United States pledges to support this and so forth. The church I grew up in had the little envelope. You had one for each Sunday. Did y'all, any of you ever do that? Oh, well, the rest of you know what I'm talking about then. Every year that the church that I was in, the Christian church, they gave us each family got an envelope box, had a number on it. That was your number for the secretary. And your money you put in the church offering, you put it in that envelope. You didn't just throw it in a pretty silver or gold pan. You put it in the envelope. That way, when the treasurer counted the uh, money, they would see here's an envelope with number 16 on it. That might be you. They'd open it up, and there was $15 in there, and they'd go to the book and write $15 on January the 5th. And then at the end of the year, they'd tally up how much you gave, and they'd give you a tax-deductible receipt for that amount that you could deduct from your taxes. And that was the whole purpose of those little envelopes, so they could keep track of how much money you gave, because they wanted your right hand to be fully sure what your left hand was doing. So they gave you those little envelopes. Now, with those envelopes, on the box you would read, it would call pledge, as the word pledge was written on there somewhere, because they were asking you to pledge how much you will give this year. Because if they know how much you're pledging, the church uses your pledge to see what kind of budget they can have that year. Well, if all the money comes in that they said would come in, this is how much money we'll have, and this is how we will compartmentalize all our money and how we'll spend it. These pledge envelopes, whatever they were called, were simply asking you to, with forethought, tell us how much money you're going to give us this year. Now, I look back on that now. And I can see the business side of the church doing that as a convenience for the church and for the budget. The book of James chapter 4, verse 13 and 15, it says, You who say you're going to do this or that, you don't even know if you'll be here tomorrow to do this or that. 
How many of you in here know for sure you're going to be here tomorrow? None of you know. You expect to be. You're assuming you were going to be. Or you're believing you'll be here tomorrow. But you don't know it. It's just like, well, I'll pay you back so much a year if I'm here. That's the only way I can word that. I said, now, if the rapture takes place, you just have to get the house back. I don't think they ever did get, get that. You know, if you get the house back, you didn't go. That's the way I had to word it. Because I don't think in good conscience I can pledge anything. The college I went to, I answered the phone twice. They had the beggar on there wanting you to pledge so much money a year to the university. And they would not leave me alone until I finally hung up. They were just, well, I, you know, we need a, yeah, you know, I know you can help And I said, well, I, you know, we, Bonnie just tells them, we just do all our giving at the church. And that irritates them all and they hang up. <laughs> we just give ours to the church. Thank you. I can't make a pledge to anybody money-wise. It's just like a loan. I'll pay you back so much a month. You don't even know if you'll be here in a month and a month and a month. Turn to James 4. You're over in the book of Psalms. Turn over to James chapter 4, verse 13. Go to now, you that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Those are your plans. Now you who say that, verse 15, you ought to say this. If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this and do that. Because any other boastings, he said, all such rejoicing is evil. If you're boasting, I'm going to do this and I'll do that. How do you know you'll be here? God alone is in control of all of our tomorrows. But I see, that's my conviction. I'm giving you all something, some, some room here now. That's my conviction. I don't want to tell you that I'll pay you back so much a month. I'm going to borrow money from you and I'll pay it back. As such. You don't even know if you'll be here. We might have an ice storm and a, and a tree fall on your car, and then you can't pay it off. And if you're in the car, the poor company that loans you the money, because you're gone. And you don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. None of us do. We all live by the grace of God. The air we're breathing is a gift. The health you have is a gift. Everything is from the kindness and the goodness of God. You don't take that for granted and say, oh, well, I've got it now. I'm good to go. You don't know that. You should be thankful and grateful. You should say, if the Lord wills, we'll do this or we'll do that. As far as I know, yes, we will. But if the Lord comes or something happens, I cannot obligate myself to any of those terms that you want. I can't do it. That's my conviction. Now, everybody should have their own. Many Christians are defined by how they handle money. You can be labeled as stingy and tight or foolish with your money. But it shows the level of growth that you have, the kind of walk you have with the Lord. A lot of the ways you handle money. Too many people are, are known by the way they handle money in a bad way. Because somebody's name comes up, people say, well, yeah, I know who that is. He, he's a guy that always owes everybody. Always needing money from somebody. Always borrowing Money doesn't get you anywhere in this life by itself. It's God who gets you everywhere we go in this life. Money is a tool. 
It is something that is useful to us in the advancement of ourselves and his kingdom. It takes money to operate. It takes money for us to meet here. We have to pay for this building. We have to pay for these lights. You have to pay for the groceries and the car, the gasoline in your car. It takes money to operate. But we are under no obligation to operate foolishly. The Bible has a lot to say about money. If you're a wise person and you want to be wiser, find out what it says. Get you a topical Bible or an index in a Bible that's topical, that takes topics. And just find the word debt or borrowing or money or owing and just see what the Bible says. We have plenty of time to do that in your quiet time or your time with the Lord. Look up every verse. Read it out loud to yourself. Read it so you can hear your voice saying it. And then ask yourself the question, where am I in relation to that? I sure don't want the Lord to come back and I disqualified myself from his favor because of money. I don't want that to happen. Not to myself, not to you. So it's for us to examine ourselves, examine our lives. How you function, how you operate, what you do with your money. Do you give? Do you give for the right reasons? Are you spending your money wisely? Are you paying your bills? Are you out of debt? You say, well, I'm behind on taxes. I'm sure you are. Because that goes along with it. Credit cards, I mean, it all goes together. But if you're a Christian, let me tell you something. The money that somebody gave you to do what you wanted to do is still their money. And if you ask them for it, you owe it. Are you here? Well, I'll just file bankruptcy and I'll get out of all of it. You may get out of your temporary phone call problems, but it comes right down to it. You still owe that money. I mean, it's still owed. You asked for it. They gave it to you. You told them you'd pay it back. You signed a little thing and said, I will pay you back. You're obligated. If you want to get out from under that, get out of debt. Amen. One more verse. Let me read it. Matthew 13 and verse 12. He said, He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. God deliver us from that. Amen. Bow your head with me. Father, we give you thanks tonight for your word. We thank you for the wisdom that you'll give us from your word on how we properly relate to you in this life with all the things that you give us. I pray, Lord, that we will not be a foolish bunch of people, but that we would be wise as serpents. That we would be able to manage ourselves, asking for your help and oversight. Finding out what you say in the word and then committing ourselves to living that way and doing things that way. The Christian way. And I ask you to bless every home that's here tonight. Those that watch. That there would be a measure of conviction laid on all of us with regards to money, what we're doing with it or what we're not doing with it. That we might get this area of our lives right. We ask for your help. We ask for your inspiration. We pray that grace to help in time of need would come to each one of us that we can be set free. I ask you to do it.
in Jesus' name. And all the believers said, Amen. Amen.